this is a Wikistrat exclusive webinar to the participants of the exploring the uh, um, exploring the Israeli GCC relations in case of a Saudi-Israeli uh, peace treaty uh, simulation, which is ongoing right now. The simulation will be ongoing until Friday, 11 a.m. London time. And this is an exclusive webinar about the future of Israeli-Saudi relations, which is only open and was only um, circulated to the individuals who are and to participants who are either participating in the simulation or um, joining us as observers to the simulation. So this is an exclusive webinar uh, on the future of Saudi-Israeli relations. With me today, we have two distinguished guests, uh, top experts, and I'm saying it based on both working with them and based on reading their materials, really some of the uh, most sharpest minds when it comes to Gulf uh, geopolitics, and, and I hope they're not going to be feeling uncomfortable with me kind of giving them the presentation. Um, the first one is Neil Quilliam. He's the founder and director of the Azura Group. Uh, he is also a fellow at Chatham House in London. He has been in the Gulf and in the Middle East, Jordan, um, I believe in other countries as well, and you'll, you'll, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but Jordan, Iraq a little bit, Saudi Arabia, um, dealing with aspects related to Syria uh, for Chatham House. So definitely one of the top experts on the Middle East and on, uh, on Gulf politics uh, as well. So Neil, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome, um, thank you. Joining him is Giorgio Cafiero, who is the CEO of the group called Gulf Analytics. Gulf State Analytics, which is a private consulting firm. Uh, Giorgio has been a consultant uh, for many years, uh, covering not only the Middle East, but specifically the Gulf. Um, you may have seen some of his work in the media. He's been uh, known to be writing on various topics related to the Gulf and always bringing in some top uh, insights and very, very interesting uh, analysis. So Giorgio, thank you so much for joining us as well. Good to be with you guys. So for those of you who are joining us, um, the way this is going to work in terms of this webinar is that I'm going to be present questions to uh, uh, Georgia and, uh, and Neil, but I am welcoming everyone to use the chat option that we have to send me questions because we're going to have a part of this webinar where we're going to use those uh, questions and ask them. So feel free to ask questions via chat and then later uh, as we go on with this webinar, I'm going to be uh, um, guiding those questions both to Neil and Giorgio for them to reply and to provide their analysis. And uh, I would like to start with the first question for you, Giorgio. And, and the first question is, is a very simple one. Um, where are we at when it comes to the relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel? Are we in any way in a different place that we've been two or three years ago? Are we kind of standing still because of different changes that we're going to touch that? Or, or are we looking at a kind of a, a dynamic relationships which are moving forward and are likely to develop into a peace treaty and uh, what we've seen with other Gulf states. Thank you. What is undeniable is the fact that in the Arab world, there is definitely a trend toward normalization. And the year 2020 last year was obviously a watershed year when it came to the development of relations between Arab countries and Israel with four different countries, UAE, Bahrain, Sudan, 
Morocco announcing their plans to formalize ties with Israel in the final four months of last year. To be sure, Saudi Arabia is a part of this trend. Uh, when we consider the fact that Saudi Arabia has so much influence over Bahrain, I think it's safe to assume that Bahrain joined the Abraham Accords only after Saudi Arabia gave green light to do so. I think that's a relatively safe assumption to make. Also, Saudi Arabia permitting uh, Israelis access to the kingdom's airspace, and also a number of comments and remarks from Saudi officials tell us that Saudi Arabia is warming up to Israel and is definitely, again, a part of this trend toward normalization. Having said all of that, I do not expect a formal treaty between the two countries anytime soon. It's certainly possible, and I think eventually, further enough down the road, it could happen. But in the upcoming months, upcoming years, I don't think that that would happen. Um, and we can go into more uh, of why I think that's the case perhaps a bit later on. But in some, I just don't think Saudi Arabia is ready for making this kind of move at this point. Uh, Saudi Arabia is a very different kind of country from the UAE or Bahrain. This goes to the heart of the role that Saudi Arabia plays in the Islamic world, the kind of soft power influence that the Saudi government has throughout the wider Islamic world, also public opinion within the kingdom. These are factors that I think leave the Saudi government uh, concluding that it would be too risky. Moreover, uh, there is a lot of cooperation that goes on between Saudi Arabia and Israel that is, is more tacit, it's not formalized, and I think that's going to continue, and I think we're going to see more of that. But once again, a, a formal treaty between the two countries, I'm not expecting that to happen anytime soon. Neil, do you do you share the same thoughts uh, as as Georgia? Do you think that we're we're not there yet in terms of a formal treaty between Saudi Arabia and Israel? Yeah, no, I I, I think I'm inclined to agree. Um, maybe just you know a few degrees of separation between us in in, in terms of that pace, but but I think um, I mean I think given where Saudi Saudi sits in the region, its responsibilities, as George has just said. Um, in, in terms of being the custodian of the two holy places. I mean, that, that places a, 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 you know, a great weight, I guess, on whoever the leader is on, on their shoulders. I mean, I, we, we shouldn't, I mean, I think MBS would love to rush into having some form of peace treaty personally. I mean, I think he would, he would, he probably feels a little bit left out a little bit on the side, you know, wanting to sort of seize this opportunity. Um, but I think there are sort of, constraints or structural factors if you like that that are going to frustrate that even even you know in the in in the scenario where you know salman passes and he becomes king he will still have some constraints around him which is likely slow that perhaps you know we could sort of see that, that sort of informal relationship as georgia just said maybe that's sort of like a step step by step where they're starting to sort of advance the relationship but not not in terms of a treaty so it's it's sort of i guess kind of a creeping movement towards that that might be the way in which it comes but i mean i 
I don't expect, you know, suddenly in six months time, um, a treaty to sort of, you know, be revealed. Um, and, and Neil, do you think that the relations are going to get a shape of basically Saudi Arabia and Israel um, maybe not having an official treaty, but kind of channeling their relations through Bahrain? That's going to be like kind of a back channel to that kind of an activity, which is more, um, um, which is not as open as having a, a full treaty with Israel. But at the end, but at the other end, it's almost as if they have a treaty with Israel because of the Saudi companies that are in Bahrain, because of the business people who are working with Bahrain, because of the close ties between the two countries. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not even sure if 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 that that sort of mechanism is required. Um. I think sort of informally things will will be let go. Um, I think I, I think there'll be sort of a, 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 a slow movement. So I mean, Bahrain might might serve as a sort of fig leaf for a for a, for a short period of time. I mean, I think it it really, to be honest, I think a lot of it depends on on who is king. Um, I think I think I think that that you know that that's going to be a, not a game changer. It's not going to happen the day after. But that that will sort of you know set the pace. But so it's so it's sort of just inc I think incremental. I think we'll start we'll we'll start to see um, interaction taking place even directly without even without that sort of Bahrain fig leaf. Giorgio, um, in your opinion, when we look into the relations um, that are basically developing. Um, a lot of it, some some experts are saying, a lot of it had to do with the U.S. administration that we had, with the Trump administration, with Kushner taking a very very active role um, uh, into kind of pushing those relations forward. Um, now with the new administration, what impact will it have on the relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel? Will it have a positive, negative, or no impact whatsoever? Um, what is your opinion about that in terms of what impact will the new administration have on Israeli-Saudi relations? Well, first of all, more broadly, when just speaking about Arab states in Israel in, uh, in general, I think this is one area of Trump's foreign policy agenda that the Biden administration is going to try to build on. I don't have any doubt about the fact that this current, this new leadership in Washington would very much welcome more countries uh, joining the Abraham Accords. Having said that, I don't think that Biden's administration would be as transactional or as quid pro quo-ish about these normalization agreements as the Trump administration. But again, it would absolutely welcome a, a continuation of more Arab Muslim countries normalizing ties with Israel. When it comes to Saudi Arabia, obviously um, that's no exception uh, for Israel to normalize its ties with Riyadh in a formal way would be a, a huge uh, diplomatic breakthrough for Israel. Um, but I don't think that the Biden administration would necessarily have so much luck uh, in terms of pressuring Riyadh to do that. As, as we've discussed, there are so many uh, other regional, international issues that make it so risky for uh, the Saudi leadership to consider that move. But what I think is important to note, though, is that the policies of the Biden administration are very likely to do even more to underscore the extent to which Saudi Arabia and Israel find themselves 
in the same boat on a whole host of security issues in the region from uh, JCPOA to the role of Iranian-backed non-state actors in different Arab countries. This is going to give the Israelis and Saudis even more incentive to uh, work together in, in new ways and in stronger ways. But again, I think that's going to happen without some sort of formalized diplomatic agreement. Neil, how do you see the new administration uh, strategy towards the relations specifically and, and a little bit more broadly in terms of the Israeli uh, GCC states relations, how do you see them in terms of taking an active role as the previous administration or they're gonna kind of like uh, stay back a little bit and and, uh, and take a less active role than, than the Trump administration took? I mean, I think the I think the focus really is is going to be on JCPOA. I think that I think that's that's going to be absolutely key for the Biden administration. Um, and I think, in a way, that you know they've been given a gift by the sort of reconciliation amongst the GCC states. I mean, that you know that's bumpy, that's uneven, but that's that that's not all those issues have clearly haven't been fully sort of worked out. But I think I think that that is going to be the their top priority in the Gulf. So again, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to keep agreeing with Giorgio here. Um it's a shame we, we need to find a difference here somewhere. <laughs> um but I think I mean I think it's you know it's it's a nice to have that you know Israel has its relations Bahrain UAE we, we know it has its relations with Saudi they're you know they're they're under the table or wherever but 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 they're certainly there. But I but I don't see that it's gonna have the you know the time or the bandwidth to invest or even even you know the the will or ambition to invest sort of pushing that and and extending that further i think i think i think jcpoa is going to be a you know a major priority it's got other issues on its hand as well like iraq for example so i think it's it's you know it's going to be more on more on the back burner maybe lend support when it's as and when it's required or they have the capacity to do so but um i think it's you know it's 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 in a We lost you there, Neil. Over the table, under the table, with or without U.S. support. Um, let me let me ask you a follow-up question on that, Neil. Um, in terms of the U.S. administration policy towards the Gulf states, specifically Saudi Arabia, are we likely to see a comeback to the days of into the policy of the Obama administration? That that for many that was uh, um, a, a very a sharp step back uh, in terms of U.S. relations with Saudi Arabia were happening during the Obama administration. Do you think we're going to go back to to those days, or you think we're going to see something different from Trump? But that's all definitely something different than than what happened and what was uh, uh, implemented by the Obama administration. So obviously, the fear is, you know, we're going to this is Obama three. We're going to go back to we're going to go back to that period. Um, but I, th I mean. It is a it is a very similar team to to last time, so so one could one could argue that quite persuasively, but but I think one of the you know one of the key lessons of the JCPOA and and, and the aftermath of, of of what followed is that the regional states weren't part of that conversation, weren't part of that discussion, and I'm 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 sort of convinced certainly in, in some of the work I've been doing at Chatham House that you know, those regional issues and other issues. Um, will necessarily become part and parcel of a sort of jcpoa plus um so it's going to be very different to trump but it's not going to be obama it's going to be somewhere somewhere in the mid in, in the midpoint and i don't think it's going to be 
walking away from the, from the regional issues. I think there's, you know, there's a clear understanding that they need to be addressed. And as complicated as it will be, they need to be sort of phased in or locked in or aligned with movements on the JCPOA. So that that's how I would envisage it. It's you know, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit, bit of a broader palette. Um, but but you know, Iran's behavior in the region is going to have to be part of the you know the, the wider discussion. Um, Georgia, one event that um, kind of grabbed attention. Um, I would say in the in you know at the end of the year, beginning of 2021, was the Gulf reconciliation. Uh, we, we have seen uh, an event here, which is uh, many described to be a game changer in the Middle East, in which Qatar, which was basically uh, uh, being under, I wouldn't say siege, but definitely um, both the UAE and Saudi Arabia cut ties with. Uh, they're now renewing relations with Qatar. They're now uh, entering a new chapter in their relations. How would that impact the relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel? How would that impact the Gulf states' relations with Israel, in your opinion, Georgia? And we're talking about Saudi Arabia's cost-benefit analysis of formalizing full-fledged diplomatic ties with Israel. I don't think that the GCC summit at the beginning of this month does much to change those assessments. I don't think that the restoration of diplomatic and economic ties between Saudi Arabia and Doha will do much to make it too much more likely or less likely that Saudi Arabia would join the Abraham Accords. Um, you know, like uh, Saudi Arabia, Qatar uh, has a pragmatic relationship with Israel. Obviously, when we talk about the situation in Gaza, there's definitely a role that Doha plays. I would argue that to some extent, Qatar sort of serves as a diplomatic bridge between Hamas and uh, Israel. Perhaps um, Qatar could potentially play some sort of a role in decreasing tensions between Hamas and Saudi Arabia. Not saying that's inevitable. I, I wouldn't bet the farm on that happening, but I think that's something to possibly consider. But once again, in terms of how Saudi Arabia views this question of a formalized treaty between Riyadh and Israel, I, I don't think the Alula summit really factors into that in any significant ways. Neil, one topic uh, that I, I see come is coming back again and again is the issue of I would say the Iranian elephant in the room or or not not so much even a, an elephant in the room as much as the as the room itself which is the situation with Iran the nuclear program that they're developing um, and obviously we can see that a lot of the relations between Israel Saudi Arabia the way in regard to Iran has been strengthened because of their joint efforts to stop Iran from achieving nuclear weapons um, are we expected to see that the situation with the talks with Iran about their nuclear program is going to impact the relations between those three states, uh, specifically Saudi Arabia and Israel, if, if any one of them will take a certain softened approach, for example. So if Israel, for example, play a scenario in which, let's play a scenario in which Israel disagree with Saudi Arabia on their approach to Iran, do you think that might harm the relations between the two countries? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think it will. I mean, 
so the US, I mean, Saudi has a sort of, you know, has a difficult path to walk. And it's, and it's all about the Saudis, really. It's that, you know, they're very conscious that the Biden administration um, is going to be reviewing the relationship. So they have to tread that, you know, path very carefully. They, they don't want to um, alienate Biden. I mean, alienate is too strong a word, but they, they, they don't want to, you know, frustrate. They want, they want to sort of get, stay within the US's good books, as it were. Um, so to a certain extent, they will probably, you know, petition privately, but very quietly that, um, you know, should there be some advancements in JCPOA, then regional issues will need to be taken care of. So they're going to they're going to have to balance that, but but their but their position, I mean, their real position will be: we don't want JCPOA to advance. That's not you know that's that's not in our collective interests. It's much more about the regional issues. And whilst you know we are you know clearly aligned with the U.S., we are looking we're looking ahead to a point when the U.S. has a different type of footprint in the region, and our key relationships will be with you know Abu Dhabi. And will be, you know, with Israel too. So it's 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 going to be a careful balancing act. But I think that the the relationship as as it stands with Israel is it's clearly going to endure a little, you know, bit of rough and tumble, a little bit of tussle here. And it, that's just all about, um, you know, clear communications. I I, I don't think there's the parameters um, are the parameters are unlikely to be breached. I, I I wouldn't see that. I think they can. I think all all sides know where their interests rest, and I think it's a case of sort of playing to that, but also sort of keeping on side with the U.S. And as a follow-up questions on that, um, I do want to ask you regarding the um, relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel. In terms of what do you see the potential um, when it comes to um, um, when it comes to if we do see a peace accord. Uh, between the two countries, if we do see a, a peace treaty between the two countries, what are the potential, I would say, positive implications of such a treaty? What are uh, potential bridges of corporations that we're not seeing today um, that could be uh, uh, that could be uh, basically uh, developed because of the peace accord? Um, and is there any chance that we'll see something like that being developed even without a peace treaty between the countries? Okay, so 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 one thing I, I I sort of want to make clear from my perspective is that you know we we've seen the sort of you know Israel UAE um, relationship advance quite quickly, um, but but I think I, I don't think we would see um, a replication of that with Saudi. It, it's it's a very different country. It's a very different beast. Um, however, the, the the relationship advances that you know there are lots of domestic issues that that will need to be managed and addressed, and that's not something that's that's going to happen overnight. so i I wouldn't sort of see whether it whether it's formal or informal, the relationship advancing at pace. Um, and if there is a peace treaty, you know i I don't think in any way that you know we're we're going to suddenly see a complete transformation of relations. Um, on a, on a business on government to government perhaps but business to business people to people that's going to be a whole other sort of kettle of fish. Um, I mean the you know the obvious areas where where we could see things advancing um, you know common things defense obviously tech um, tourism agriculture some cooperation on energy I mean those are those are sort of I would say those are key planks I'm sure there are more. But those those would be key planks of the relationship. For the large part, 
things like defense and tech can can happen under the literally under the radar um some cooperation some exchanges can take place there but but for the larger sort of pieces agriculture tourism and other sort of large industrial projects where there might be some cooperation water for example that's going to have to wait i think until until there's a peace treaty so it's it's going to be sort of multi-tiered if you like um going forward but i but i but but i would really sort of caution against this idea that you know get to a peace treaty and then everything's going to change overnight um i mean you know countries like you know like like the uk which have got a long a long history with saudi arabia still still in many ways sort of struggle to manage manage that relationship as do a lot of you know a lot of our businesses as well so it's you know it's there are, there are sort of complex operating um circumstances which which israel and israeli companies and businesses would have to manage and deal with Georgia, what is your perspective in terms of the potential opportunities that will emerge from a Saudi-Israeli peace treaty, if that indeed happens? Well, obviously, what's so important to Saudi Arabia right now is Vision 2030 and his efforts to diversify the kingdom's economy beyond its traditional oil sector. I think, um, at least on paper, there's a lot of potential for uh, Israeli innovation, um, Israeli technology to play a role in helping uh, Saudi Arabia make uh, Vision 2030 not just a vision but also a, a reality. I think um, that's probably the area where we could be the most optimistic. Obviously, that is um, less controversial compared to certain sensitive issues in the region where cooperation between the two uh, countries could create some significant backlash uh, domestically, regionally for the Saudi government. So yeah, I would, um, I, I just think sort of uh, technology is the area where the Saudis and Israelis could possibly be most optimistic about uh, cooperation, regardless of whether or not there is a formalized uh, treaty between the two countries or not. Um, Neil, I would like to kind of pose a challenge to you, and, and this is based on the simulation that we're running right now. We see a lot of scenarios that um, that look into two types of cooperation. I would say actually three types of cooperations. Uh, one regarding like what Georgia just said with Vision 2030, obviously that's a massive project and, and um, uh, a lot of the participants are looking at it as a potential kind of a catalyst for cooperation between for, for collaboration between Israeli companies and, and, and the Saudi government on various aspects, especially related to technology. The second one um, is related to the city of Neom, which is the, the city which the Saudis are intent to, to build. And the third one is about Red Sea, kind of a regional uh, Saudi, Jordanian, Egyptian, Palestinian, Israeli kind of a collaboration around that, specifically when it comes to Egypt, Saudi, Israeli. That's the main uh, core of what people are looking at. So when you look at those three uh, uh, three topics, the Vision 2030, the the new city Neom, and 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 the and the Red Sea co collaboration there on a regional perspective, wouldn't you say that there is uh, a, a possibility? And I'm and I'm, and I'm going to add another layer here, which is if MBS is uh, uh, is indeed king, to see that kind of a, a relation going on a fast track. Uh, which is uh, of uh, partnerships between private sector and, and the Saudi government from, from the Israeli side and, and other business opportunities that might emerge around those three? 
um, I mean, that's, that's a great, that's a great question and, and, and a great scenario. And, you know, I'd like, I'd like to say yes, because I mean, sort of on paper, it looks, it looks great. And I, and I could see all the reasons um, that that should happen. But um, I, I think sort of instrumentalizing it would in itself be tremendously, you know, challenging. Um, I mean, the Saudi itself would not necessarily, it would take a long time for them to develop the capacity. And we're already seeing that, you know, delivering against Neom, delivering against some, some sort of Red Sea um, conglomeration where, you know, where, where, where you have tourism sort of sat, sat within there. I think just from a practical point of view, um, it, it would be really quite challenging to, to get it up and off the ground. I mean, dealing, you know, from a bureaucratic point of view, dealing dealing with the government is it's it's not an you know it's not an easy thing. It's not there are I mean there are one stop shops, but they are by no means one stop shops. There are tremendous changes taking place in the kingdom, and you know there's been a raft of laws over the past few years which make business you know doing business much easier. But it's still you know it's still a complicated place and space in which to do that. And then uh, on the other side. Um, society still needs will still need to catch up with this you know there is i mean i i mean i speak you know i speak to i, I guess a generation or a cadre of young saudis who are all in favor of this these types of changes taking place and they want to get on with it um but i don't feel that they're very representative of, of the rest of the country and i think that you know that that's part and parcel of the issue and i think it's easy to you know to get drunk on this and when i when i sit with young saudis and you know from my perspective, you know, they're extremely progressive. They want to push ahead with these projects. I, I see them as being not particularly rooted in the societies that they're from. And I, and I think, again, that, you know, that that's going to be part of the issue, part of the constraint. So it's, it's, it's one of sort of bureaucracy, it's one of capacity, and it's one of, you know, the rest of the country sort of catching up. We, you know, we've seen, we've seen things advance quickly with the Emirates, but I mean, you know, the, the demographics in the Emirates, and the political setup is really quite different. So that that can advance because it's got the push of MBZ and those around him. Saudi's, you know, Saudi is a is is a is a very different game. So yes, on paper it looks extremely appealing, um, but I think actually putting it, putting it into practice is is, is going to take some time. It's going to take you know a lot of time, commitment, and a lot of confidence and faith that these projects will ultimately lead you know lead somewhere um it could a peace treaty could be a game changer but you know we have you know we have we have had the peace treaties with, with between israel and egypt since 79 and 1994 with with jordan and there hasn't been great advancements in that area this could be sort of you know the missing piece of the puzzle yes that could catalyze it but but i mean do take a look at the resistance within society in those countries this is going to be no different it's going to need you know a strong leadership and a strong push from the top to help change that georgia what is your opinion about that in terms of the opportunities regarding those three uh specific um i would say topics the, the vision 2030 red sea collaboration and the city of neom do you think there is a potential for those uh, uh for those to serve as a catalyst to kind of put the relations between israel and saudi arabia on the fast track 
I think the crown prince of Saudi Arabia would, would love to see that happen. And yes, there are segments within the Saudi population that would also embrace that very much. But I completely agree with Neil that um, just so much of Saudi Arabia is, is really not ready for that. I think in a lot of discussions people have about the prospects of Saudi-Israeli relations, there's sort of a mistake in people make in which, yes, you know, they point out that many Saudis view Iran as the enemy. Many uh, Saudis also have a very negative views of the Palestinian leadership, but that does not necessarily in any way translate into them viewing Israel as a country that should be a friend of Saudi Arabia. I also think it's important to point out that if there were to be some sort of a formal treaty between Saudi Arabia and Israel, the next time there's some sort of an armed conflict between the Israelis and non-state actors in Gaza, uh, that could create some real dilemmas for the Saudi leadership that would have to take some actions, even if it's just about rhetoric or symbolism, they would have to take some actions to sort of distance themselves from Israel. And that's always going to be a factor that's going to make um, it's going to always force the Saudis to um, strike a, a very delicate balance and walk a very fine line. So again, yes, on, on paper, all of this might sound good, but just in, in practice, there are so many complex and sensitive issues that um, lead me to be a little skeptical about all of this. Now, one factor um, that we see is always impacting the Saudi foreign policy is the price of oil. Um, which is, um, you know, it's a big question moving into to, to, into 21. We, we're uh, looking into a price that is uh, very much dependent on economic rebound from the pandemic that's going on. Um, do you see any kind of a potential collaboration or, or partnerships between Israeli companies and companies in Saudi Arabia? Uh, Aramco, obviously, is, is the first one that comes to mind that... Uh, relates to when it comes to energy about uh, um, generating new opportunities when it comes to renewable energy or anything related to uh, Israeli companies providing technology to reduce cost of oil production or anything else that comes uh, uh, that can be served in order to uh, uh, to help Saudi Arabia with its uh, energy uh, market using Israeli technology. Do you see some sort of a partnership like that maybe taking place under the radar? Uh, not just the security, not just the, uh, uh, not just the, the stuff that we, we know that might be under the radar, but something more related to energy uh, that could happen? The connection. Is that Lauren or such as Georgia? Sorry, oh, yeah, go ahead. That was, for, that was for Georgia. Sorry for that. Thank you. So the connection cut out a little bit, so I just want to make sure I understand your question correctly. You asked if it's a consequence of low oil prices we can expect to see uh, Israel, Israeli private companies helping out Saudi Aramco uh, with its requirements. Is, is this what you were asking? To clarify my question, my question is, are we likely to see, uh, in case we don't see a peace treaty between Saudi Arabia and Israel, but uh, um, a partnership between Israeli companies to Saudi companies uh, in regard to the uh, energy sector, energy market, 
uh, in which Saudi companies purchase Israeli technology to help them with aspects related to renewable energy or reducing costs when it comes to uh, um, in regard to oil manufacturing, etc. I don't have a whole lot of lights to shed on this area, but I, I would say I think that that would definitely be one uh, aspect of growing cooperation between the two countries that would be very appealing from the Saudi perspective, especially if this is done sort of under the table in ways that don't result in a lot of uh, attention from the public on the cooperation. Obviously, this is a one of the most important issues to Saudi Arabia right now. And uh, yeah, I absolutely do think that this would be uh, very beneficial from Riyadh's perspective if this could happen. Neil, do you see any potential partnership between Israeli companies to Saudi companies when it comes to renewable energy, for example? Yes, 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 I do. I mean, I... Yes, no, I, I mean, I think there's, I think there's plenty of scope. I think, I think there are, you know, there, there, there are sort of mid, mid-sized Saudi companies merging in that space. There are a lot of startup companies move, moving in that space. I mean, I, I would say that's, a, you know, that's a target-rich zone essentially, and that's, that's a key area where, where cooperation can take place. Um, I mean, I would um, sort of just when you're asking the question about Aramco, I was sort of reflecting on that. Um, I mean, Aramco already has a, you know, a, a swathe of partnerships. Um, so, I, I mean, so if Israeli companies were, were, were to join that, I mean, they would be one amongst many. There's, there's no specific reason why they would, you know, jump to the top of the, of the list on that. But, but I certainly see in that renewable space. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's, there's a real open market there. Um, and if you can get some collab collaboration, partic particularly sort of, with with some of the newer startups coming, with some of the younger generation uh, entrepreneurs coming through, I think that's you know that there could be a nice kind of cross fertilization. Obviously, environment and, and and conditions have to have to support that. But yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to follow up on that and and ask if you were an Israeli entrepreneur and you had a startup um, within the sector of either uh, let's say anything related to technology. Um, without going into too much specific which technology, but an Israeli startup, um, and you're looking into the Saudi market as a potential market because uh, uh, they're dealing with a problem that you can find a solution for. Um, and there is no peace treaty. How would you go at it? Uh, or would you completely go and say, this is not a market available, or is there like a potential to go and work around it? Uh, we spoke about maybe the Bahraini channel, maybe moving towards uh, moving towards partnerships with the US companies. H how would you basically see that could potentially work? I mean, I think, I think it would, Bahrain probably might maybe a little bit too close. I mean, I think you'd need to somehow work through a, uh, a partnership with with some kind of U.S. vehicle. I mean, I think that would, I think that would be probably the only realistic way of of going about it. Um, and you, I mean, you know, you might you might find it hard to to, to really ident identify um, you know partners on on the ground that are, that they may have the aspiration. But whether they whether they have the confidence to go forward and 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 to you know to collaborate is it's is something else. Um, one has to sort of take into account the you know the 
the environment within Saudi Arabia, which which in some ways is permissive, but in other ways is 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 fairly you know fairly restrictive. And, and you know we, we we saw that primarily with Qatar. And obviously Qatar is a very different space and a different issue. Um, but you know there were there were no workarounds whatsoever. So um, you you might be sort of fishing you know fishing in waters where where the fish have already uh, fled. Georgia, do do you think there is um, there are any challenges uh, that are can be solved today that will allow a peace treaty between Israel and Saudi Arabia to move forward faster? Um, or maybe without a peace treaty, just talking about the private sector, are there any challenges that, you know, top down can be lifted in order to put this on the fast track of, of moving forward with these relations, especially in the, within the private sector uh, collaboration and partnerships? Um, first of all, to get to your question about a formalized treaty, I, I definitely think that as long as King Salman is on the throne, the Saudi government will not uh, establish full-fledged diplomatic relations with Israel unless Israel goes back to the 1949 to 1967 borders. Quite frankly, that's not going to happen. So I seriously doubt there's anything that could or would happen while King Salman is still on the throne that, you know, that is realistic that would result in some sort of a formalized treaty. Um, in terms of something top-down happening that could lead to a significant amount of greater um, cooperation, engagement between uh, Saudi entities and Israeli ones, um, you know, I'm not so sure. I think when we're talking about Saudi Arabia, we're obviously talking about a very conservative society. Yes, changes do happen, but they don't happen overnight. Um, even Jared Kushner was uh, sober enough to uh, understand this point. I think there has to be some patience. I think people who were expecting huge changes to happen overnight might be disappointed. So at this point, I want to uh, go to and ask you some questions we received from the audience. Um, we received both via email and via chat. So I'm going to start with the first questions that we received. And this one, I would like to start with you, George, and then I'll go to Neil. Um, this is a question that I received from uh, Stephen. And the question was, the UAE and Bahrain peace undermines a key plank of the Arab peace initiative. Does Saudi Arabia pivot to a new peace initiative approach to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? Are we going to see uh, a, new, a new Saudi uh, initiative uh, coming from Saudi Arabia anytime soon? I don't think so. Uh, I think that officially speaking, the Saudi leadership is going to stand by the Arab Peace Initiative uh, put forward by the then Crown Prince Abdullah in the early 2000s. I don't think we're going to see Saudi Arabia formally go away from that. But obviously, as Saudi Arabia is warming up to Israel, and as I mentioned later, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the Saudis also played an important role in facilitating the Abraham Accords. What we are seeing is Saudi Arabia be less firm in its commitment to the Arab Peace Initiative. I think as Arab countries continue on the trend toward normalization, we're going to see Saudi Arabia probably continue 
to sort of um, loosen its commitments to the Arab Peace Initiative. But I'll, I'll say it just one last time. I, I would not expect them to formally abandon that, especially with King Salman on the throne. Neil, what is your opinion? Are we likely to see a new pivot or a new uh, a kind of Saudi push for, uh, um, for a new initiative, a peace initiative between the Israelis and Palestinians? I don't think so. No, I, 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 I mean, I think they've, you know, they, they've stood by the API since whatever, 2002. I think they, you know, I think, I think the Saudi officials have, have made it very clear. They're not, you know, they're not going to walk away from that. Um, also, I, I don't think that the Ministry of Foreign Affairs or any other Saudi Institute really has the creative capacity to to invest and engage in you know a new initiative so number one they don't want to walk away from the api because you know that's that they, you know that's that's been their trademark position since then but i also i just don't think they have that the capacity i don't think they have that creativity to you know, to, to 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 shape and to manage it a new and different process or the political will to be honest um, we have another question here from Becky Meloy. She's asking, uh, do you think Israel and Saudi Arabia could use tightening cooperation between the two countries to induce shifts in Palestinians' positions or in Jordanian position when it comes to the uh, peace negotiations between Israel and Palestinians? Sorry, could you repeat the first part of the question? The question is, do you think Israel and Saudi Arabia could use their uh, tightening relations um, in order to basically pressure the Palestinians or shape the Palestinian position, um, either directly or by also pressuring the Jordanians in order for them to pressure the uh, Palestinians? So do you think there's, uh, is that something that uh, we might see in the upcoming uh in the upcoming years slash years i mean it's interesting i mean you you can certainly you'll certainly see some manifestations of pressure um and i guess prince bandar's al arabia you know interview extensive interview was sort of indicative as 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 to how um you know that particular that particular strain within saudi arabia sees you know the palestinian leadership as is and and and, and has been in in the past but but i really don't i mean they don't really have the wherewithal all the tools to to pressure i mean they could they can use sort of economic pressure but but i think that will be largely resisted so i don't i don't i don't think direct engagement um i don't think they have the tools i mean i think the emiratis are in a much in a much better position uh particularly through sort of you know dahlan um would they would they use the jordanians i mean the jordanians already have you know a number a number of issues with the siders themselves they have issues certainly with with the emirates i mean they've drawn closer more recently um i'm not sure that they themselves would want to be a conduit in this space you know they they've also got their own issues with israel directly as well and i think that's i think that's going to be their their key and their primary concern and in, in fact they you know they they may well want to draw closer rather than pressure the you know the, the palestinian administration so i I don't really see um, either side as being able to co sort of push too hard on the Palestinian front. Georgia, what do you think? Do you think that uh, we're likely to see the Saudis um, basically um, cooperating with Israel in order to 
pressure on the Palestinians to change their positions or in order to um, in order to kind of reshape Palestinian positions using their influence with them? I think there could be some Saudi efforts to do that, but let's also realize that there's a limit to Saudi influence over the Palestinians. I mean, there's a very popular narrative among the Palestinians that the Saudis sold out the Palestinian cause a long time ago. Um, you know, Saudi Arabia is not the only uh, state actor that has influence over uh, different Palestinian groups. You know, there are other players, there's Turkey, there's Iran, there's Qatar, and I think we have to see Saudi influence sort of um, shared or also within competition with these other players in the region. Another question we received from the crowd is um, a question about, are we likely to see uh, potentially a shift in Saudi position towards Iran if Iran will uh, basically agree with the United States um, to uh, essentially to withdraw from the nuclear uh, from the nuclear uh, uh, program that they're they're doing, uh, but more uh, more importantly, if Iran will submit guarantees to other Sunni to other to other Sunni states, uh, which would be in contrast to the Saudi position, would the Saudis take a step back um, based on that? So, Giorgio, uh, are are we likely to see a, a Saudi shift in position if? Iran and the U.S. reach some sort of agreement, or are we likely to see a Saudi continuation of the same policy, regardless of what's happening between the U.S. and Iran? I think a Saudi-Iranian rapprochement would be wonderful for the region in terms of promoting stability and opening up dialogue. Unfortunately, I don't see that happening. I think actually Washington and Tehran coming to a new understanding in the Biden era would only uh, reinforce uh, the threat perceptions that the Saudis have of Iran and its intentions in Arab states. Um, I think the Saudis are very worried about how the Middle East could change if slash when the Biden administration begins to ease uh, the pressure on Tehran that built up over the past four years. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think um, serious breakthroughs in Washington-Tehran relations are going to lead to Saudi Arabia taking a, a softer approach uh, to the Islamic Republic. Neil, what do you think? Do you think we are potentially uh, likely to see some sort of shift in the Saudi position regarding Iran? if Iran will reach some sort of an understanding with the US on their nuclear program? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, 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 mean, I think, the, you know, I, I think Saudi Arabia, you know, perceives Iran as, you know, as a threat. It, well, you know, it, it perceives it as an ex existential threat. Um, that's not about to change. That's not about to shift overnight. I mean, it will give, it would give the Saudis nightmares you know, if if the U.S. comes to a, a strong and clear understanding with Iran, they would, you know, they would worry that they would lose part of their value in the region. Um, but that will push that will push them in a different direction. I mean, I'm slightly overplaying the you know U.S.-Iran relations there, but but that will push them in a in a different direction. Um, the fundamental fear that the Saudis and Saudi ruling family and the population at large 
um, sense from Iran isn't about to change. I mean, that's, you know, that, that's, that's structural, that's cultural, and that sort of sits deep, deep, deep within society. Um, a question I received, I'm, I'm going to shift it a little bit because we, we talk about it quite a lot, but it kind of made me uh, want to ask a question which relates to that. Um, Neil, you, you mentioned quite a lot about how it's it's going to be very difficult and challenging to see what is going on between Israel and the UAE repeating itself in case of a peace treaty between Saudi Arabia and Israel in terms of the economic and, and the commercial ties. We, we're, you're basically saying this is not going to be the same story. It's a different type of beast, as, as you said. Um, but the yeah. question that I have is, do you see potentially some local slash uh, autonomous initiatives within those states? For example, uh, kind of a Elat, Neom, uh, Aqaba agreement maybe, or, or something that is more on the municipal slash uh, second tier uh, 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 initiative between cities, between municipalities, or, or even between certain uh, uh, specific business entities. Um, and, and they're taking it forward and with the governments of Saudi Arabia kind of putting a blind eye onto that and saying, move forward with that. Do you think that kind of initiatives could happen? Do you think that's something that we might see taking place like a, no. a, in the relations? No, I, no, I don't. There's, 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 I mean, there's no uh, turning of a blind eye, um, you know, from the central government. Uh, no decision can possibly be made unless it gets pushed up, 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 up into the top. So, I mean, you know, if, if MBS would have to give his approval and then he'd have to give it the, you know, the, the blind eye somehow. Um, so, so no, no, you know, no local governor, no regional government would, would certainly have the confidence, let alone the capacity, but, but really the, the courage you know, to go ahead and do something without, without, you know, making sure it goes to the top. And, you know, in that process of getting that decision to the top, it's going to meet tremendous, you know, bureaucratic resistance. And that's going to sort of raise all sorts of red flags. So unless, you know, unless whoever that's the governor would be in that, in, in that sub-region or region could, you know, have a direct line to MBS, um, which is possible, but then, I mean, you know, how, again, how would you operationalize it? He might say that sounds like a great idea, but how are you going to operationalize it? How is it? How you know? Where are the bylaws to support that? Um, it sounds like a, it sounds like a, a great idea, um, and one could imagine in other jurisdictions where where that where that would be allowed to take place. But I, but I think um, you know, in, in a country like Saudi, where people are generally fearful to make decisions so they keep passing up and up and up it's you know it's going to have to sit at the top and somehow it might not it's not going to reach the entry uh george i'm, I'm gonna take that question i'm gonna challenge you a little bit there neil made a very clear case here about how this uh kind of relations that we see between the uae and israel not going to repeat themselves with saudis uh, not in the uh, uh, in the immediate term, not in the second tier, not in a kind of a uh, under the table, uh, uh, in, a, in a wider, uh, uh, broader kind of uh, engagement. So let me challenge you here, Giorgio. What can uh, Israeli companies slash Israeli business uh, leaders do in order to engage the Saudis that might work, that could work uh, when it comes of doing business with the Saudis? Um, 
if today or after a peace treaty, what do you think could work with that, with that regard? Um, you know, I, I think in areas that are not super controversial or super sensitive, there's definitely, you know, I mean, I do believe there is real potential for Israeli firms to have a, a role in the economic diversification plans that Saudi Arabia is moving ahead with. Um, but again, though, as we've talked about throughout this discussion, there are so many risks that the Saudi leadership has to contend with when engaging Israel. And these have to do with, you know, not only domestic factors in Saudi Arabia, but regional and international ones pertaining to Saudi Arabia's religious role in the Islamic world. I'm not so sure that there's much that could be done on the side of Israeli companies to mitigate these risks for Saudi Arabia. I, I do think what is interesting is to consider how uh, the two smaller GCC states, Bahrain and UAE, which entered into the Abraham Accords, could possibly uh, help facilitate greater engagement between Saudi Arabia and Israel. I think it's going to be important to see in the months and years ahead the extent to which, you know, if at all, Manama, Abu Dhabi, and Dubai could begin to sort of serve as hubs for Saudi-Israeli cooperation that could perhaps make it a little bit less risky for the central government in uh, Saudi Arabia. But uh, I think that really remains to be seen uh, whether or not that actually happens. So at these notes, um, this kind of uh, put us at the end of our webinar. I want to thank uh, you, Giorgio, uh, and Neil for both participating in this webinar, both for the very interesting insights that you share with us, uh, some uh, uh, great analysis in terms of where this future of relations is going to be uh, and what will shape them. So I want to thank you both for participating in this webinar. I want to thank everybody who has been in this webinar and asked questions and, and also showed up and, and joined us into this webinar. Uh, uh, thank you, everybody. And I just want to end with a concluding kind of remark, uh, which is the simulation that we have launched yesterday, uh, in which we are essentially exploring opportunity for Israel GCC normalization based on the Saudi-Israeli peace accord, uh, which we discussed in length today. Uh, the simulation is running, the simulation is going, and it's going to continue until Friday. So use the opportunity to kind of share both your thoughts in terms of the uh, in terms of potential scenarios, also to, to share some uh, questions that you might have. And uh, thank you, everybody, for participating in this webinar. Thank you very much.